Hello and welcome today. My name is Samuel Brassfield. Hello guys, and we are here with the podcast about Deborah Landis. And today our focus will be on her work with the Blues Brothers, Indiana Jones, and the music video everyone knows, Thriller by Michael Jackson. Um, it's been a journey to learn about Deborah Landis. Um, she's actually right now a UCLA professor, and she is at the David Copley Center of Costume Design, and she's the head chair there. Um, and she is a professor there, and she has undergrad and graduate students there, and she teaches about costume and television and film. Um, she also graduated from UCLA with an MFA in costume design, and she was awarded their first ever grant for costume design um, for the National Empowerment for the Arts to investigate period costume trends in contemporary fashion. So her love for fashion really goes deep uh, and really, really, really shows in her work as you are about to come and see as we dive into what she has done in her career, essentially. Um, so when we start to look at Deborah Landis, we look at Indiana Jones uh, because that's kind of where everything initially starts. Um, Indiana Jones... Um, was a um, movie directed by John Landis, and she was a costume director. Where they originally already had, as everyone knows, the the famous character is Harrison Ford, but he was not originally the character. The original character for that, um, for their vision for what Indiana Jones was, was the younger Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck uh, was in the. A lot of movies in the late late seventies, early seventies. Really young, uh, broady shoulder, stronger guy. He was younger. He was just he fit for the role of what they were looking for for an Indiana Jones, and he turned them down um, for a Magnum PI, a very famous film later filmed in the eighties. But that was okay. That was okay. Um, normally, in film, in theater, in the world, in the realm that we work in, things happen on the fly all the time, and that's okay. But that's what the that's what this that's what we're in this for. We can never allow one thing to be able to take down our entire production. If one thing falls apart, we got to be able to figure out a way to regroup and how we can move forward. So what they did was. Luckily, they had the unemployed uh, Han Solo at Tom Harrison Ford, who was in his 40s at the time. And this is a complete flip and switch to what they thought that they were going to be working with. Um, but, you know, they just accepted what they could because they knew that, um, that, hey, they had to work with something. But the difference in him and um, Selleck and Ford, Ford was built for this role. See, Landis said when Ford got on the roll, when he, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm just checking my notes to make sure I'm still on track. When Landis got uh, Ford, they said that everything about him was just just amazing. His warmth, his intelligence, and his vulnerability. Um, those are the things that really allow for them to be able to make the Indiana Jones character what it was because they had created this character who was kind of one-dimensional in a way um more looked looked over as a superhero kind of a way like i'm gonna save the day i'm 
you know, just this this strong one one dimensional superhero kind of guy. But the character that Ford had brought to Jones and what he made Jones was an everyday man with with the sense of humor that and. Also, with this whim about him, like you never knew what was going to happen about it, but it was so adventurous. You just, you kind of just wanted to go with it. And then when you look at his his character, um, from 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 the way that they had to pick out the clothes, uh, I mean, even the jacket, like the jackets, uh, the jackets were. She said she handpicked everything out, and as a costume designer, and again, this is the eighties. Uh, not many times you don't have. Like these big warehouses of costume places where you can go in to order things, you gotta go kind of buy them. And some of the uniforms that they that the uh, people were wearing were World War Two uniforms that she got from a place down in Texas, a company in Texas that still had some. So she actually used those. Uh, she used a few of the World War Two uniforms, old Navy uniforms, for the few of the movies that they sh- shot for Indiana Jones. The uh, few of the three movies they shot in the eighties, and what's also um, very interesting is that uh is that excuse me I'm just double checking yes yes the uh, job of the costume designer when we go back to um when when Harrison Ford got the role and he making it his own see the costume designer's job um isn't to really make the best or isn't at all isn't to make the best clothing for someone to go want to go buy is it in is it isn't for them to create the best high heels for for them to show off in a movie so people can go buy them no it's it's so you that they can make a character believable enough for you to to love them or enough for you to believe what they're going through you know that's what that costume is is really for and once once the um once it was put on film, once she could see that, she saw where she wanted to go. And that's where they kept going with with the look of Indiana Jones and the feel of where he went. And that's what made Ford so so um so lovable. And and that's uh that's all I really have for the Indiana Jones one. I wanna switch now. I wanna get back to Indiana Jones later. We're gonna switch now to the gears of Deborah and how she got involved with the um with Thriller. Now, Thriller, which is very, very interesting. Well, I'm going to go to Thriller last and go to the Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers, um, she mentions uh, how she got involved with them because the Blues Brothers, those guys already had been working separately with those two characters. And when they brought them in, John and her wanted to be able to make them kind of go flow together, like salt and pepper as a way. And she kept, kept framing it. She kept framing it, calling it salt and pepper, meaning that it was she wanted them to flow in a uh, weird way, kind of so that the, the, the silhouette would just flow because they were wearing these suits and these suits were kind of in a way throwing off what the movie was because in the movie there was so much action and thrills going on, but yet they were always in these suits. And as she said, and as I also thought, you got to look at it as if are they hiding anything behind these suits or the, in these glasses because she kept them in all black suits black glasses and hats in the hats she said that she made herself she had made 10 hats a piece for each actor just as she had made those jackets in the um indiana jones movies for harrison ford to be able to run back and forth and also for the stuntmen to be able to run back and forth but then 
Uh, every piece of, of, of the costume really matters, you know, even the, and each piece is intentional, just like Indiana Jones jacket or his, his satchis, just like the glasses for the Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers were these Ray-Ban glasses in which she popularized on that movie because she made an emphasis to go out to the store to go get them. Again, costume designers never go out the way to intentionally make trends. But when they do things that become trendy, it just shows that the work actually was worth it and that it meant something, you know, and that it resonated with its audience members. Because now the Blues Brothers, like she said, is one of the most copied Halloween costumes for grown men all across the world. And why is that? Because they want to be able to dress like that, 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 that. That look of anything is happening in the world around us is chaos, but we've got it. We can handle it. And that's that look. And that's the look that she was going for in that movie. And I feel as if she reached that goal. And I feel as if she reached that goal as well with the Indiana Jones movies. Um, just taking a look at how popular they got and how they took the best of what they had, which was a 40-year-old man. And, and not only did he use the best of himself, but they also was able to get the best up out of him to be able to get their, um, this iconic, to create this iconic character, because who's to say, like she said, who's to say that, that this character even would be there if it wasn't for Ford? Would their work have done the same for somebody else's career? Who's no, who's, who's to say, but the work stands for itself right now. Um, yeah, Landis has definitely been all around the globe as well because right before they worked on Thriller, they um, they had this movie and I didn't know this, by the way, before I started researching how um, popular the, the like werewolf was getting in, in, in Hollywood. You got Teen Wolf, um, the American, um, excuse me, the werewolf in London, which, which American werewolf in London, which they shot and then you have to throw that video. So the, that way of, of the 30, 35 gauge uh, millimeter film is what they shot it on. So that, that wave of film was really going around. And they were leading that wave in, in a sense. And when they were in London working on um, the um, American, American World if they got the call that Michael Jackson wanted to, when it landed to direct and work on the film which was going to be Thriller. And they originally wanted it to be a short film. So they wrote it as a short film, and that's why it's so long. You know, I always wondered, why is this Thriller, like, so long? It's like a little bit of a bitty movie. And that was the intention. There was intention behind that. They wanted that that nostalgia, that feel. Um, so when she went to talk to Michael, um, well, first of all, the entire crew from American Werewolf came from London and then to L.A. to be able to shoot. So the same actors you would see in that in that movie, which is crazy. I didn't even put two and two together. They're the same actors that were dancing in that video. So it's just crazy to see how crews work together in, in this business and continue to help each other gain work and, and stay consistent as well. Um, that was one thing that was also very fun to see because a lot of these um, costume designers and makeup artists, they... They stuck together, like Rick Baker, who was the uh, makeup artist for Thriller, and he also was the makeup artist for the uh, American Werewolf. He was an eight-time award winner. So you're working with people like that. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it definitely makes for a 
it makes for a fun experience. So when Landis told this amazing story, I think I, I want to share it about when she met Michael Jackson um, to be able to work and talk to him about the sketches she had been making for the costume. So they told her that Michael records a lot and he only has time during his breaks. And this is around the time. It's 1983. She's got a one year old. Uh, I don't know if it's a boy or girl. I'll conduct check. And, you know, she's like, well, I got to go meet Michael Jackson. Well, what time is he available? She said studio tells her that he's available at 12 o'clock a.m. And she is just in shambles because she's like, I got to go up there and get it. So she goes up there at one o'clock in the morning, she says, at 12 it was, and he still wasn't done. So she says she nodded her head down and she fell asleep. Hour later, he comes out and she's, and, you know, Michael Jackson voice. Hi, how are you? Wake up. It's time to work. And, and they get to work. They get to work at one in the morning. And that just shows the dedication from both of them. I mean, she's sitting in, the, in that waiting reception hall, waiting on him to get done mixing and mastering, probably with the song, which was Thriller, which, so they can so they can film. And then she was out there waiting for him. And and that just shows the dedication. I mean, that just shows how much it meant to her to be able to get her job done, to be able to get her sketches shown to this to this artist who 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 had, who had sought out them to be able to make his vision come true. So she had to make sure it happened. So she said when she sat down with uh, Michael, um, they had the idea for the jacket. And when they were creating the jacket, they kind of wanted to make him kind of what they wanted Tom Selleck to be in that Indiana Jones role, kind of a superhero in a way. So what they had to do was make his jacket kind of more broady because Michael was so small. Um, so she said he was he was narrow. So she wanted to extend his shoulders. And that's why you see those broad shoulders on that red jacket. And she put the V there to make a make of the uh, make for a, a bit of a silhouette there as it stood out the red going from the back to the front with the black trim. So that would stand out amongst the light background, which was just the like graveyard scenes that you would see. And 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 she put on red pants to make his vertical much uh much longer. And you know it absolutely it blew her mind that he didn't try to change anything because everyone knows Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson is this this Huge character who wears buckles. I mean, these flashy lights and and, and, and and glasses and all types of things and studs. She thought that he probably wanted something more pop and more out there, but he couldn't have been more accepting of what she had designed. And then that just goes into how much these actors and performers trust uh, our costume designers and and the people we work with because... Because we trust them with, with, with what they know how to do, you know. And that's why Landis is one of those costume designers who, who, who's, who's going to still be around after, after the, the, the art form of her. After she's gone, she's her, her, what she's done for the art will still be here. And it will still be studied. And it will still be researched, you know. And people still be using her theories and costumes and how she designs and how far she goes. I mean... Knowing now, knowing that she created so many of the pieces that we call iconic, th iconic 
things. I mean, everyone in their house watched the thriller video. Everybody wanted a thriller jacket, but to know that she was one who was sitting there and architecting it and, and, and figuring out why it worked and and how, you know, it just it's just it's just amazing to know. Um and, it, and amazing to know her journey that and, and to learn how she came, you know, how she came into becoming who she is. Excuse me, I need to grab some water there. But yes, Deborah Deborah Landis now is a professor, as I mentioned earlier, at UCLA, um, the chairman of the uh, theater and film program that when it has to do with costume design. Um, and this, she was just a great, a, uh, a great project to do as well. Yes, we are back. We are back. And now we return talking about um, finishing off with Deborah Landis and her time spent on the movie, um, which was my last topic that I want to end off my, my uh, podcast on, which her time spent creating the, the, uh, the costumes for Coming to America, which is actually coming uh, with a sequel. I don't know if she's the costume designer for the sequel, which I really hope she is, but the sequel should be uh, due to come out pretty soon. As already was filmed this past year. Hopefully, uh, COVID didn't stop things. Um, but hopefully, I think she will be the costume designer for that movie as well. But going back to look at some of the um, costumes she designed for that one, and specifically, um, I didn't know that the, the the town that they were, the African city that they were talking about, was actually a fictional, fictional, completely made up town because people were talking about how outlandish that some of the things were they were doing in a movie, but it was completely fictional. So that takes care of that. But let's talk about the wedding dress. Uh, Deborah uh, talks about this wedding dress and how a lot of people now give give her emails and and shoot her text messages or whatever. And when they see the movie, they talk about they want her to design the wedding and they want her to do this. And I seen. The original sketch for this huge drapery of a dress is this pink dress that just drapes back almost like 20 feet worth of fabric um, with this huge pink veil that just starts around her waist and it just and it just goes all the way up um, this huge like crown of a of a veil on her head it looks like a crown once you take take the curtain I don't know what the word is called the curtain off and bam, and there she is, this huge just black dress. And then you have all the, the, the other characters, like the king, uh, James Earl Jr., he wears this, this lion on him. And it's this huge just lion, mammoth of a lion, thrown on top of him. And he is just the strong, stocky character, the king who can hold such weight. I don't know if another character could hold such a costume or could wear that lion and, and wear it the way he does. Because he makes it look small. I mean, you know, and, and, I mean, not saying that he's he's a fat man, but he's a big, strong, stocky looking man. And that's a lion that's on his back. It's covering him, keeping him warm, and it doesn't look like it's too, it can even fit him. So that was a great decision by Deborah to put him in that. And then you have the the McDowell's, the McDowell's. I mean, of course, it's a obvious, direct uh, shot at McDonald's, but the uniforms. She put African-Americans, um, Africans as we have them in the movie, but African-Americans, in Scottish uniforms. She put them in Scottish uniforms. For what reason I do not know, but it stood out and it worked and it and it and it made the the feel of the movie just pop 
little bit more. And that silhouette, that red and that and that and that green popping out just at a restaurant every time. And, and with with their skin cut, with their skin tone as well, just it really made the uniform pop as well. And it just stood out. And, it, and that just goes back to her whole entire career of her taking chances on things that might not work, but they end up turning into being legendary, end up being very, very um profitable for for the movies uh that that she's been in because the 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 time she stepped out and not being afraid to try something i mean that's just what you call um great costume designing um and that's just something that she's done all her career and, and that i hope that she will be able to continue to do even with all this mess that's going on with covid so if she is in coming to america too we can be looking forward to seeing some of those robust colorful dresses and 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 beautiful maybe even another ceremony of a wedding or anything that we may see um coming from her but that is our time that we have today uh with our costume podcast on deborah landis i hope that you all enjoy uh and we thank you so much for listening